Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old School Grit, New World Ideas, Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere. And I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. I'll do my friends just trying to make some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach, and put it in context. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. On the biggest day for earnings support so far, a day where the Dow did 28 points, it's be inched up 0.19%. NASDAQ gained 0.81%. How do we keep track of everything? How do we make sense of things? Well, I know one way you shouldn't, all right? I, 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 we don't look at some aggregate tally here in Kramerica that tells you, say, oh, well, 42% of the companies have beaten estimates or 24% have had the guy down. Don't buy. Don't buy. No, these surveys are useless because who cares if a company beats already lowered estimates? It doesn't tell us anything. No. No. To find out what matters... We need to go company by company. Who doesn't even, know, doesn't even know that we're in a tough environment because their business is in such good shape? Ooh, let's call that one a one, huh? Who's able to thrive at this stage in the business cycle? Who's struggling to hold their own in the worst economy in two years? Who's in trouble? Who's in much better shape than you'd expect thanks to savvy management? These are the real questions, and you can't answer them by just, like, saying, oh, 47%, you got to do homework, so let me give you the scorecard to date. We'll start with the joyfully obvious, uh, oblivious companies, the ones that are oblivious to all of the slings and arrows of the economy worldwide, the ones that don't even know that this is a difficult environment. Last night, John Donahoe, the outgoing CEO of ServiceNow, symbol N-O-W, came on this show and told us that his company's riding a wave of digitization. They're signing up huge deals to automate employee onboarding, tech assistance, human capital management, the sheer magnitude of these contracts, including some business that just closed in Europe, Europe. It's downright shocking. It's a welcome reminder that we're still in the early innings of digitization. Do you know that these guys closed a staggering 46 deals that are worth more than a million dollars in that annual contract value? That is extraordinary. The stock got hammered yesterday on the news that Donahoe's leaving, take over at Nike. But those, num- that, but those numbers then came out and, well, I mean, the stock managed to surge right back, up 8% today. Best of all, Donahoe said he simply hasn't seen any slowdown. Same goes for last night's other big winner, Microsoft. Here's a company that is clearly firing on I don't know how many cylinders. I mean, it's just an awesome thing. The amazing CEO, Satya Nadella, has expanded into all sorts of new businesses. Microsoft's now taking share left and right. I know there were a series of headlines last night that created the impression that business was slowing. 
But those headlines must be written by some sort of bot because everything this company touches turns to gold. Whatever you're, you're talking about, at LinkedIn, at Xbox, Windows, or the incredible Azure platform for cloud infrastructure, it is all working. When you read Microsoft's conference call, you think that the whole world must be booming. Really, it's just Microsoft that's booming now. Thanks to real strength in artificial intelligence and top-notch web services, another business that's not seeing any kind of slowdown. Then there's the company that Donahoe's leaving ServiceNow for. Nike. Thanks to innovation and personalization, Nike's been able to avoid any economic sensitivity for its expensive footwear and apparel business. Even in China, where sales remain very strong. My only fear, I was worried these pro-Hong Kong statements by players and coaches in the NBA might lead to a complete blackout of NBA games in China. Well, you know, it's kind of happening for a little bit here. The Chinese want their basketball, though, and they, they and the Ministry of Sports wants Nike. They have a deal with Nike. Far from negative, China's been a positive for Nike. Everything's good. Who else missed the memo that this is supposed to be a tough environment? How about Chipotle? Their business actually accelerated thanks to investment in digitization, better throughput, tremendous advertising, and a popular new uh, menu item, the carne asada. It's so good, I hope they make it permanent. Chipotle just posted 11% same-store sales growth. That is very impressive, especially when you know it's driven by 7% traffic. That's what you want, new people in the stores. You have to marvel at the performance of two big industrials, Honeywell and United Technologies. But they do have a lot of aerospace, which could get a little bit iffy if Boeing's problems drag on. Finally, how can you not be impressed by PepsiCo and Coca-Cola, both of which are at the top of their games? On their conference call, they each talked about innovation, not the Fed, not the trade war, not the slowdown. How about the companies that are seeing a downturn, though, but have managed to make the most of it? Here I'm thinking about Costco and Walmart. They're using the pressure from the trade wars to crush their competitors. These two big box stores have always shined with their treasure hunt layout and everyday low prices. Even though they have to source their merchandise from China, at least some of it, they have to scale. They have the scale to be able to demand better prices from the suppliers rather than eating the cost of the tariffs themselves or passing them on to you. Same goes for Target, by the way. I think all three can be bought here. I don't know if you caught Southwest Air's Gary Kelly this morning on on the street. Wow. But this man and his team have been dealt a really bad hand by Boeing's 737 MAX woes. Yet Southwest still put up fantastic numbers. I know it has to be tough, especially since one of their upper markets, major markets, Texas, has been bruised by the decline in oil, oil prices. Didn't matter. Kelly put up very good results in spite of the environment. Or how about the rails? Did you hear our interview yesterday? I mean, I thought it was amazing with Jim Foote. He's from CSX. I almost couldn't believe how well this railroad All aboard. is doing, even though his, most of his cargoes are headed straight downhill. I'm used to this. Do you remember what, Foote's, uh, what his secret to success was? Just run a better darn railroad. Yep, it's all in execution. I think the stock's working. It's a buy. Then there's Lamb Research, L-R-C-X, the semiconductor capital equipment maker. Lamb, those times are tough. They're seeing a slowdown in DRAM equipment. But flash memory is coming on strong. Who knows what will help people react to the microprocessor strength in Intel this very evening. But that's how uh, these guys at, at Lamb could report such a good quarter. And if Lamb can hit the midpoint of its guidance for next year, this could be the second best calendar year on record in terms of earnings in a slowdown. That's despite the fact that more than half of their book of business has been hurt by an immense decline. Yet CEO Tim Archer believed, just like his predecessor, Kramer Uber fave Rick Hill, he bought back a monster amount of stock at the right prices. Lamb has unseated 
with today. I'm serious. Do you know that Lamb has unseated Chipotle as the best performer in the S&P 500? What else? Hey, let's not forget about J.P. Morgan. How the heck can they make so much money in an environment that's supposed to be toxic to the banks? I think the franchise is so strong right now that no bank can touch them. You know, when it comes to profitability, for certain, right now, J.P. Morgan might be the cheapest stock in the Dow relative to its growth rate. The company's remarkably well run. You know, even when you try to get other bankers to knock CEO Jamie Dimon, they simply won't do it. All right, so now what about the companies that are merely treading water? I think Dow Chemical, Jim Fitterling on this morning for Squawk on the Street, belongs in this category. They're just starting to tread water. Some of the cycles they've levered, or they're levered to are starting to turn. It's not perfect. But I, I no longer think the tide can keep holding down this bountiful stock, bountiful 5.7% yielding stock. If you're looking for income, you can now feel more confident that Dow Chemical stock can hang in there even in a more difficult global economy. Finally, who seems sadly at the mercy of the moment? Oh, my. I say Ford Motor is really, truly struggling, like the little Dutch boy with the fingers in the dike. They're in bad shape in many parts of the world. Even worse, even worse than Ford, you've got 3M. So many of its end marks, markets seem way too soft, and I think China's become a real headwind for them after being a tailwind for ages. The bottom line, when you're looking at stocks this earnings season, these are the buckets you need to be sorting them down into. Who's doing so well they don't notice the environment? Who's thriving in spite of the environment? Who's treading water and who's getting steamrolled? When you divvy the corporate world up into those categories, there's a lot to like. But a lot to avoid. Why don't we go to Fabio in New Jersey? Fabio! Hey, Jim. Uh, recent viewer hooked onto your show, trying to learn a thing or two. That's what I want. My question is on Nokia. I bought some at 488 a share two months ago. As a long term investment, 2020 and beyond, do you still see potential in the stock? And should I buy more, hold, or sell? I was very disappointed. I mean, these guys obviously are way behind the eight ball and trying to do a lot of 5G. Uh, they remind me very much, frank, frankly, of a BlackBerry. Uh, I'm going to say no. Um, it really was quite discouraging. It was quite discouraging. Uh, and it just shows you how much ahead Huawei is. How about Ed in Iowa, please? Ed. Yeah. Hey, Jim. About a year ago, the uh, market seemed a little volatile. So I thought I'd hedge my investments by uh, – Putting some money into a producer of gold and copper, okay. Fort McMorrin. Right. And I just want, but it's been losing money ever since, and they didn't meet their last quarters and estimates, and wondered whether I should sell it out, take my losses, and uh, reinvest or hang on. You know, you can look. You ho- yeah, I hope to never be part of the equation. You have to hope for a trade deal so you can bail from the stock. I don't want you in the stock. Don't like the balance sheet. Don't like the pastiche. I'm tired of management, frankly, too, even though they're very nice people. The earnings season, you're required to divvy up the corporate world into the categories I'm telling you to do. There's a lot to like and a lot to avoid. Man Money Tonight, can you still find winners in China? I am eyeing American companies still operating in the country whose success could shock you. Then I'm searching through the rubble of the software stocks and telling you if it could finally be the time to buy, and I know many of you are beleaguered in them, and talk of potential Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren candidacy has caused some concern for Centene investors. But could the company's most recent quarter single, it's time to do some buying? I'm sitting down with the CEO, so stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. 
Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. Enough gloom. We need to talk about the companies that are winning in China. Yeah, you heard me right. Winning. Look, I know it sounds crazy. Our government's relations with China are rapidly deteriorating. President Trump seems to want it that way. I think the big unstated goal of our negotiations with the Chinese is to force them to make an agreement that they can't live up to that nevertheless gives American companies more time to get out of the People's Republic. As China once again makes a bunch of theoretical commitments and then buys nothing, I suspect the president will very soon accelerate the tariffs in order to make it look like he's been taken advantage of once again. Remember, we've been through this before. It's how things unfolded after the talks in Argentina. The free traders make their gains. Steve Mnuchin, Treasury Secretary Larry Kudlow, President Chief Economic Advisor. Then the Chinese government disappoints and the hardliners in the White House get to say, Mr. President, I told you so. That's why I think the, the uh, trade war is only going to get worse before it gets better. Yet the strangest thing's happening right now. Do you know we're discovering some real winners in China? Some American companies that have worked their way into the heart of Chinese commerce in spite of the trade war. Which companies? Let's start with a real fave. Let's start with PayPal. PayPal reported a tour de force quarter last night. Dan Stillman, the CEO, he shocked the analyst community, revealing that PayPal was able to conquer the world's largest and fastest growing payments market by acquiring 70% of GoPro back in September. I'm sorry, GoPlay, not GoPro for heaven's sake. GoPro is what you wear in your head if you're a goat and you're on a surfboard. GoPay has licenses for online and mobile transactions in China, as well as industrial e-commerce. I want you to listen to what Shulman had to say. Quote, so first of all, obviously, it's an incredibly meaningful event to be the first non-Chinese company to obtain a payments license to process domestic online payments in China, end quote. Then he continues, we have been working on this diligently for years. When I say diligent, I mean literally almost every single day and have calls and have been working on this. And we work quite closely with the PBOC, with other authorities inside of China. We work with the administration here to enable all this to happen, end quote. Ha! A roadmap, a blueprint even. Basically, PayPal told us how American companies can crack into China. One, work closely with the regulators. Two, invest quite heavily in compliance and risk management. Three, be a strong collaborator with the financial system rather than trying to disrupt it. 
Four, be innovative, but within the existing structure. And five, offer a differentiated value proposition to both Chinese merchants and consumers uh, by working closely with existing Chinese and financial institutions. Now, Dan had to do it this way. He had to, because China's the world's largest e-commerce market with half a billion online shoppers, generating $2 trillion in online sales. That's more than half of the online retail market worldwide. Yes, he had to play ball, but play ball he did, in short. American companies can still break into gigantic Chinese market, even in this environment. But they got to play by the rules. We saw something last night similar from Tesla. When their company reported a surprise profit, Tesla revealed that it built a new gigafactory in China over the course of 10 months, clearly with the support of the government. Source there, build there, hire there. It can come together. Who else is winning in China? Lamb Research. The giant semiconductor equipment maker I talked about at the top of the show. It saw a nice expansion in the PRC. Their machines are a must-buy in China if local semiconductor companies want to build out their 5G capacity. Again, the key here is surprisingly simple. If you want to do business in China, even in this time of strife, you need to hire a lot of people in China, work with the government, play by the rules, and be indispensable when it comes to making new proprietary technology. Maybe that's not what the government wants, but it's the way to do it. I wish there were more ways, though. I wish it was about China buying planes, Boeing, or Soybeans from our farmers. Uh, But these companies are working, at least for the moment, although they could change at any time with a simple tweet from the president of the United States. Stay with Kramer. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast generating texts in seconds thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magirite is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Canva. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production. And they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. Is it finally safe to circle back to the beaten and bruised cloud stocks? Regular viewers know I've spent years pushing these cloud-based softwares and service names, but in the last few months, the group has been put through the meat grinder. Long-term, we've still got some tremendous and enormous gains here. In fact, most of them are still up for the year, and the mad money cloud kings have dramatically outperformed the rest of their cohort. Now, though, these former market darlings have become mangy dogs. They've gone from love to loathe as Wall Street lost its taste for high-flying growth stock. Buy, buy, buy! Sell, sell, sell! Buy, buy, buy! Sell, sell, sell! If you've been buying these stocks lately, it feels like you're volunteering to go over the top of World War I. I mean, you're begging to be mowed down by the short sellers and the long-goers. At least until today. Today, when the whole group rebounded and rebounded hard. Hey, so does that mean that the cloud plays have at last bottomed? Or is it merely a dead cat bounce as the sellers take a moment to reload? I think we've got a lot more reason to be constructive than we did a month ago. In mid-September, 
We conducted a damage assessment for you where I warned you that the cloud cohort had further to fall. I recommended dumping most of them and then circling the wagons wagons around the highest quality software as a service companies, the ones with the most reasonable valuations, and I know they're expensive. Since then, there's been yet another downshift, although it hits some of these names harder than others. To get this, on the average, the 11 cloud stocks I blessed last month, all right, they performed better. They're down less than a percent. Uh, While the 21 cloud stocks in our coverage universe, the ones I told you to dump, they've lost more than 6%. But let's zoom out and take the whole software as a service complex group by, uh, let's say, do it group by group. We're going to start with the best of breed, the Cloud Kings. That's Salesforce.com, Adobe, Splunk, ServiceNow, Twilio, VMware, and Workday. Used to be Red Hat. Remember, that was bought by IBM. Their performance has not been very regal of late, frankly. On average, the Kings are down 21% from their highs earlier this year. While some of them have been slammed by the rotation, others have been hit for good reason. For example, Workday CEO Anil Bushri, whom I think is terrific, he warned just the other day that the company's, and I'm going to quote this, definitely seeing some delays, end quote, in the closing of deals at an investor event last week. The stock punched from 180 to 160 today. Workday is now a negative territory for the year. Highly unusual, by the way. Even the cloud kings with ironclad fundamentals have been poor performers. Salesforce, which you know is a Kramer fave, it's owned by a charitable trust, it's down 11.6% from its highs. And it's only up 8% for the year, significantly lagging the 20% gain for the S&P 500 over the same period. How about the cloud princes? The best run of the smaller software as a service place. Think Coupa Software, HubSpot, Kramer Family Fave, Okta, New Relic, Atlassian. They're like the cloud kings, but earlier in their life cycle with faster growth and smaller profits. The princes, they've been obliterated. They're down an average of more than 25% for their respective highs. Ouch! Coupa's held up better than the rest after today's rebound. It's only down 15%, uh, which means the stock's still more than doubled since the beginning of the year. New Relic, Lucerne, which New Relic's an anagram for his name, it's the worst of them. It's down 45% from its highs, which has sent the stock deeply into the red for 2019. Some of these are really frustrating people. Atlassian, that's a business collaboration software play that I like so much. Just reported a strong quarter last week, yet its stock got hit hard on the news. And even after today's bounce, it shed nine points as we saw those better expected numbers. That said, most of the cloud princes had run so much going to the sell-off that they are still up substantially for the year. You know, we're talking 41% on average. Not bad, huh? Todd McKinnon, I like, he's a beautiful headquarters building. Um, Just a second, deal with me. All right, here we go. Now, outside of the cloud aristocracy, the decline's been even more brutal. When you look at the other cloud stocks in our universe, and here's that list, uh, Alteryx, Anaplan, Apian, Domo. Domo, isn't that like... They have a Domo at like in Florence and Siena. Domo, 5.9, MongoDB, Paycom, RingCentral. How can I help you? Smartsheet, Viva System, Zendesk, and Heather Gaines' favorite Zscaler. They plummeted more than 30% from their highs with a big chunk of that pain coming the last month. That is painful. Same goes for the cloud stocks from the IPO class of 2019, sinking nearly 40% from their highs earlier this year. This has been a brutal sell-off underneath all the kind of just placidity of the averages. Some of these cloud names come down enough to be enticing. I'm going to put it in some context here. Do you know that we've seen these sell-offs before? Do you know that the cloud cohort got obliterated during the market-wide sell-off late last year? But that turned out to be a terrific buying opportunity. The same thing happened in early 2016 after a couple of extremely high-profile earnings misses from Tableau Software, subsequently bought by uh, Salesforce, and LinkedIn, subsequently bought by Microsoft, not to mention a wave of software-as-a-service IPOs. 
What can they tell us about the current situation? Okay, I'm not Fibonacci, but listen to this. During last year's meltdown, the stock, the cloud software cohort fell 32% from peak to trough over a period of 76 days. Compare that to right now. This group was now down 33% as of yesterday, having been hit for 103 days. In other words, based on the severity of the last big breakdown, you could argue the cloud stocks were ready to bottom coming into today's session. But before you get your hopes up, we need to consider the 2016 scenario. When you look at the cloud stocks that were publicly traded back then, they racked up an average of 46% decline from peak to trough. Even the best of them, Adobe, lost 26% of its value. It was truly a panic. While you still get an amazing buying opportunity, when you uh, got an amazing opportunity, you, you had to be patient, wait for the carnage to unfold. Many people started too early. The question is, does the current breakdown look more like 2016 than 2018? Hard question. Well, okay, last year's meltdown had nothing to do with the fundamentals. It was all about a change in sentiment that made the investors ring the register in their biggest winners. The cloud crash in 2016, though, on the other hand, was in response to a pair of shortfalls, like I mentioned, Tableau and LinkedIn. You could argue they weren't connected to the cloud. Tableau is really is still an on-premise software provider. I mean, LinkedIn's a business-oriented social media network, but there was a real negative catalyst. I remember how much Salesforce went down on this stuff. Until last week, I would have told you the latest software-as-a-service sell-off is a sentiment story, like what we saw in 2018. However, after what Workday said about the delayed orders last week, we need to be a little more alert for signs of actual weakness. That said, we also have got more reason to be optimistic after today's spectacular rally. Think about this. I think this run was all about the pin action from last night's unbelievable ServiceNow conference call and, let's face it, interview right here on Mad Money with ServiceNow CEO John Dono, uh, even though he's moving over to Nike. Uh, I know it freaked people out, uh, but, you know, we got an able replacement, Bill McDermott. Terrific track record as the former CEO of SAP. Don Ho is well-respected, so the fact that he's leaving the software as a service industry did make investors nervous. Of course. Fortunately, after the close last night, ServiceNow reported a fantastic quarter, and then both Don Ho and McDermott came on our show, gave us a very bullish outlook, said there was no economic sensitivity, confirmed that we all suspect there's no question, there's no reason to question the drivers in the software-as-a-service space. We also got a very good quarter from Microsoft, which has a major cloud infrastructure business that's on fire here. So I want you to put it all together, and I am now, tonight, tonight, Giving you my blessing to pick at some of these downtrodden cloud names. The ones with the best fundamentals and the most reasonable valuations. The ones I've been worried about. That means Adobe, VMware, Salesforce, Splunk, Twilio, HubSpot, Five9, Zscaler, RingCentral, and Dynatrace. The bottom line. Today, the cloud stocks prove they can bounce. And after months of agony, even after this evening's Amazon shortfall, it may spook, spook some because of its giant web services business. I think you can start gradually, not all at once. Don't be a hero buying the high quality names right here. Just keep some powder dry in case they get hit once again. And we've got a 2016 scenario on our hands and not a 2018 one. Drew in Texas. Drew. Hey, Jim. How you doing? Drew, I couldn't be better. How about you? I'm doing well. Got a question for you today. You talked about this stock a decent amount. I uh, got some new news a couple weeks ago. IAC Corp. They're now finally planning on spinning off Match Group. Wanted to get your thoughts. I think it's an incredibly inexpensive stock. I've always been a Barry Diller fan. I think that IAC, if they, whenever this stock comes down, I don't know if you've noticed, we always cheer it and suggest that you buy some. And boy, am I ever not giving up on it now. I, I know that people were down when they kind of did the match spinoff. Oh, this thing sells at incredibly cheap multiple given all the different assets it has. I'm, I'm a buyer. Call me a buyer. 
I want to go to Patrick in Pennsylvania. Patrick. Mr. Kramer, first and foremost, thank you for taking the magic out of the stock market and making regular people feel like they know what the hell they're doing. Thank you. I just want to inspire enough confidence because everybody else is so busy trying to tell people what a bunch of dopes they are. That's never how I've taught, and I like to be constructive. How can I help? Well, uh, I bought into MongoDB. Right. Uh, my average buy-in price has got me at about $49.99. Closed okay. today, about one twenty-two and change. Two questions. One, do I, t- do I ring the register? And I, I am a, the bulk of my retirement accounts are bread and butter, Vanguard index funds. Very S&P good. 500, international Very stock good. market, and U.S. bonds. So I ring the register and roll it over in there and go back to sleep? Or do I keep buying in because they've been on a pretty good trajectory for about 26 months? They dropped off of their highs. Is now the time to ring the register? You know, you, you've got a lot. You've got a lot. I like to take out the house's money. So on this bounce that I'm predicting, I want you to take out a quarter of it and then put that in index funds. And if it keeps going back to its all-time highs, then you take off another quarter and then you just let it ride. And congratulations and thank you for the incredibly kind words. All right, the cloud stocks, they can bounce. You have my blessing right now, starting tomorrow, maybe on a little downdraft from Amazon, to start buying these high-quality names. Much more mad money at Centina Soaring after earnings. With the company building momentum through a series of acquisitions, is it time to consider the healthcare player? I'm talking to the CEO. Then, as worries about the global economy continue to make headlines, is it time to circle back to the utilities? I'm talking with the CEO of American Electric Power to see how that growth stock is very. And, of course, all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Since last week, I've been telling you that the managed care stocks just aren't getting enough credit for their incredible fundamentals, especially best-of-breed operators like Kramer Fabian United Health Group and Centene, which is a big administrator of government-sponsored health plans. Sure enough, two days ago, Centene reported what I call a NABAF quarter, meaning not as bad as fear. While the company delivered a nice top and bottom line beat, they also missed on some key line items. Well, we can go over that. The medical cost ratio, I find that a little niggling, frankly. The percent of the premiums they collect that goes to paying for health care. But because the managed care stocks have been crushed by Elizabeth Warren worries, a NABAF number was all they needed. Stock exploded higher on the news, surging 6.5% single session. Centene has now rallied nearly 15 points from its lows at the beginning of the month, although it's still 27 points away from its highs. Clearly, the stock is picking up some momentum here. So let's check in with Michael Meidorf. He's the chairman, president, and CEO. Of Centene and my favorite healthcare executive, now that he's finally recovered from the St. Louis Cardinals' stinging defeat at the hands of the shocking Washington Nationals. Mr. Nodder, welcome back to Man Money. We won't talk about the Phillies, right? <laughs> no, well, we just got a new manager. Okay. Girardi. Looks good. Thank you so much for coming on. Okay, this quarter was really what uh, I think that Centene can do. I, and just get better and better when this next deal closes, right? I mean, because you've really got momentum enough. And you also announced a buyback, which I think was a great reassuring sign. Well, there's a couple of these. First, this was the, about the ninth clean quarter we've had. And the other eight, we went down for no reason, in my mind. Volatility, whatever. This, this was a, 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 a very good quarter. The buyback, we have the optionality now that 
with the proceeds from the sale of the stocks, the companies we're divesting, mm-hmm. we now have the option to retire debt or buy back stock. If we can, I'd like to buy back stock as a way to, uh, for the investors to do well on the deal. Well, here's what I'm thinking. Uh, there was a piece in the New York Times, October 18th, 2019, how pending decision on Obamacare could upend the 2020 campaign. There's a very big federal appeals court decision coming uh, very shortly. It could happen to this evening, for all I know, where uh, there'll be a lot of misunderstanding. I'm not sure. None of us knows which way it's going to come out. But there are situations which could be very advantageous for Centene that people may misjudge, might be changed to buy stock. When I, we called, it was our investor day, we called when the, the Fifth District Federal Court was going to rule the way they did. Right. Okay? Now, we think there's a chance that the appeals court could overturn it. We, we know that if they don't, it's going to the Supreme Court. And we think the Supreme Court will overturn it, not 5-4. It will be 6-3 or 7-2. So we're hoping that the federal, the appeals court, 5th district, does reverse it. If they right. do, it will just take a, an overhang out. Right, but you're, you, I'm presuming you're saying 7-2 would be in favor of the affordable oh. health care, which you oh, guys yes, have done absolutely. such a great job. Absolutely. And it, it, as it is, the exchanges are shocking people, right? They're actually doing where they're allowed to flourish, they're flourishing, and costs are going down. People like them, and we're retaining the individuals longer than we historically have. We're down to about 1.9 million. They're staying longer all the time, and we have 80% of the people each year renewing from the previous year. So it's a product they like. It's People want to walk in with an insurance card. Not right. for free care. Well, don't you think that there's been a miscalculation in the big, broad presidential debate? And lately, just in the polls from CNN the other day, it looks like that the American people are waking up to the idea that maybe it would cost too much and maybe the care would be subpar. Uh, on, on this single payer? Yes. Well, just look at every other country. You go to England, they've had single payer forever. Right. And there's a private system equal in size to the single payer. You, know, you, know, you look at all these things. We can't afford it. Every time a politician... Cause, I've said it to you before. It's too much politics, not policy. Right. You know, I tell them, why don't you go practice on the postal system? You know, you've had the postal system, the private system. No, this, this system is working. People, people are getting know. the care they want. I have a couple of employees in Italy, and one of my employees had to have a hysterectomy. And I said, well, I'll be right over. She said, well, no, it's Class B. Yeah. I said, what's Class B? She says, well, it's a couple of months. Mm-hmm. Do people know that that's what happens? No. The only way you contain costs in a single payer is withhold services. Right. I've had people in England, Germany, France ask us to open up medical tourism spots in the former Eastern European bloc so they can go get the, the knee replacement or what things they can't normally get. Right. Okay. I'll give you one more fact. Sure. I have to confirm this. There, I believe there are about 10 times as many uh, MRIs in Canada, as you'll find at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Think about this: what that means. If there's four, if there's 74 in Rochester, right. some of that nature, there's only 740 in the whole country. I mean, it's, it's those kind of dynamics. That's crazy. Those numbers aren't perfect. That's horrible. Accurate. I know. All right, now I'm um, going through this gigantic acquisition of Wellcare. I don't know how you do it. I mean, for instance, I was looking. I said, where are we? Now it's Illinois and New Jersey. I mean, like every state. Do you have to make a presentation in every state? And why can these two states hold you up? Well, they're not. They're not. You know, New, New Jersey, they seem to be last. That's okay. They, they're going through the review right now. Okay. There were some, there's some things in Illinois. It's virtually going to be resolved any time now. 
It's, it's, a clean, it's a very clean acquisition. Okay. Uh, there's a, we're working with justice on antitrust. Antitrust is hard to see because the states can decide how many players they want any time and what the rates are. Okay, well, one last question. Do you think that people are beginning, uh, when Elizabeth Warren really raises less corn and more hell, are, are people actually starting to get frightened about the, the dollars that it would cost? Do you think it's starting to sink? I hope so, because the numbers I've seen, that that single-payer program, Medicare for All, will cost somewhere between 25 and $38 trillion over 10 years. The budget for 10 years is $56 trillion. Think about what that means. So it's the whole country would be. You know, it's a, it's, it's, I've said it many times. It's politics, not policy. Right. And, you know, it's very easy to have a soundbite. Medicare for all. Right. It takes a lot of paragraphs to explain how bad it is. All right. That's great because you've been a source of great wisdom. And also, when everyone told, told, thought the exchanges were going to fail, you told us they were going to succeed. Now people want to be in them. And my family members included. All right. That's Michael Meidorf, Chairman, President, and CEO of Centene, CNC. I think the tide has crested on single payer, which makes Centene a great buy. They have money as back in the break. It is time! It's time for the light of the universe! One round goes one of those hits above it by the And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski daddy! Time for the lightning round goes one of Sam, imagine Sam! Mr. Kramer, I opened a 50% position in ConAgra only a couple of months ago. And it's been on a bit of a downturn lately. And um, almost 20%. And I'm, I'm seeing the COO sold off a bunch of shares, and some of these analysts have lowered its price target, and I'm kind of chomping on the bit wanting to increase my position. Um, is this an uh, opportunity? Now, I, honestly, I, I'm just okay on it right now. I mean, it's been a little too uh, up or down, hit or miss. Uh, in the food group, I'm a PepsiCo guy. I think that's the straight and narrow. I want to go to, by the way, I happen to like very much, and pulled up with uh, Lawrence Curtis yesterday, I happen to like the stock of McCormick better. Let's go to Charles in Connecticut. Charles! Hi, Jim. I'm calling you about Vodafone. VOD. Too risky! It's had a very big move, and at this point, the yield won't support it. Let's go to William in Maryland. William! Hey, Jim. Booyah to you. Booyah. I'm, I'm interested in a Novacore NVCR. The stock's come down a lot. I guess it ran a little too much, like Tandem Diabetes did, like Dexcom did. I like Novacure. I think it really belongs uh, in a portfolio. I think it's a good one. Hey, how about we go to Chris in Ohio? Chris! Mr. Kramer. Yes. How are you? I am good. How are you? Very good. Thank you. Uh, Thanks for taking my call. My question is uh, about the Edge Computing Cloud Platform, actually incorporated. I bought in for around $27.00. And since then, it's taken a nosedive since the August um, stock rotation. And uh, I'm just wondering whether I should hold on to it or do you see it bouncing back? I I wish I I don't know the difference between Fastly and Will and Fastly and Will Disley from the the tight end. I think is I think he's IR. Um, So I'm going to have to do more homework because. Fastly is just something I'm slowly on. Let's go to Phil in New Jersey. Phil! It could be the governor. Governor Phil, how you doing? 
I'm doing good. Not good with Amazon, but other than that, and I have Starbucks. I bought it. It's all fifteen percent. I think Starbucks is fine. I was going over with Jeff Marks today. He's my uh, research guy for Action Alerts Plus, and we said maybe it's time to pull the trigger with Starbucks. It's come down so much. I think you buy some now, and buy some a little bit lower. Let's go to Felice in Connecticut. Felice. Uh, booyah, Mr. Kramer. Booyah! I'm a first-time caller. I'm interested in your opinion of ACB Aurora Cannabis. You know, the, after the, you know, we saw some news today about Tilray, Tilray doing some medical cannabis work that seemed good. Um, but ACB is at $3. Look, this is a total spec, man. And not more than that. It's just a total spec. As long as you understand that, then I bless you to buy it. And that, ladies and gentlemen, other lightning round! The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. How much further can utilities run? This is a group that thrives when investors are worried about the global economy. The Utes are domestic, they're consistent, and they pay bountiful dividends. Although, given how much they've rallied, some of their yields are now surprisingly low. Take longtime Kramer favorite Mark Electric Power, the Midwestern utility that owns the largest power distribution network in the country, along with a bunch of uh, power generation assets. AP is now vaulted from $72 earlier this year to $95 and change, including a buck $28 gain today after they reported a robust quarter. While the company delivered its third revenue miss in a row, look, what really matters is they gave you a trip 15-cent earnings beat. This is what comes to you as a shareholder off a $1.31 basis. Plus, management raised their full-year earnings forecast. Oh, yeah, and just days ago, they boosted the dividend, bringing the yield close to 3%. In response, the shareholder-friendly utility hit a new all-time high. So can it keep climbing 28% this year? Let's check in with Dick Akins, the chairman, president, and CEO of Recollection Power, to learn more about the quarter of his company's prospects. Mr. Akins, welcome back to Man Money. Great to have you in the studio. Good to Good see to you, Nick. Have yeah. a seat. Yeah, all, right, all right, so Nick, some people are probably saying, uh, utility company, Doobie Brothers, why are yeah. they bumping in with that? The floor is yours. Yeah, so uh, obviously we were happy with the outcome of the quarter, and, and when you think about the things we're trying to do as a company, there's no question that, that when, when you – it really is a music, uh, sort of a music theme, because um, uh, we have a, a tune that we're playing, and we want to continue being prosperous, and, and uh, it reflects in the music. So. I'm, I know you also from your other world, which is the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah. Finally, the Doopies are being – they were not in? Finally. Finally in. What a crime. Well, actually, actually, they're nominated. They're not in yet. But uh, for, for the first time, they've been nominated. Right. So uh, I want people to understand. I think people are saying, well, how is it possible that a utility could be up 28%? Do you guys do any sensitivity analysis of how much your increase in the stock might be from the very nice-sized dividend versus just what is really good growth? Yeah, so uh, obviously we, we were, feel like we're very robust in terms of what the electric industry is providing. We have further electrification of the industry that's occurring, and certainly with the infrastructure development, I think people are starting to recognize the importance of the product that we deliver. I mean, just look at the wildfires, hurricanes, and the, those activities, and the investments that we're making are real investments that customers find value in. And for us to be able to make those investments and improve the customer experience is something I think is going to be robust for electrification of the economy. I hadn't thought of this, but have they ever called you out there to say, hey, listen, what should we do, PG&E? I mean, you run a, you run a pretty good utility. 
Well, obviously, there's a unique set of circumstances out in California, uh, policymaking and in terms of uh, uh, really the de- dem- uh, demographics of right. the um, uh, the industry. And so you, when you think about some of those issues they're dealing with, uh, it's, it's a significant challenge. Okay, now we see a bifurcation in a lot of the country in the macro data, which is industrial slowing down, but individuals doing better. Because of this, uh, all this construction involving natural gas and pipelines, it looks like that's not necessarily the right mosaic, but there is some slowing in industrial. There is some slowing in industrial, and, and, but we're seeing improvement. It was right. second quarter, it was down considerably. It's coming back a little bit. It's still negative, right. but overall, it's, it's, uh, it's improving. But the natural gas side, and as well the transportation of natural gas, really to get the shell, shell plays right. accessible to the rest of the country, uh, that's double-digit growth. Double-digit Yes, Yes, for the transportation sector, and then still 7.8% for the overall oil and gas sector. So it was the largest increase that we've seen since the first quarter of 2016. Wow, that is amazing. I don't want to be too jingoistic, but the fact is, Nick, our country is endowed with tremendous natural resources, and we seem to take it for granted, don't we? Absolutely. And I think that's why a balanced energy portfolio is clearly important. And for us to be able to use natural gas as a backup for all the renewables and other activities that we're doing, it's, it's really an incredible opportunity for the U.S. to take advantage of these types of resources. Well, we also must obviously have a lot of solar wind. I mean, I'm looking at your future. You have 40% of, of your power you think can become renewable? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we serve uh, the south-central part of the U.S. in Oklahoma, Texas, um, and as well, even in the Midwest, you have regions that have very good wind resources. And when you look at the ability to for uh, wind power to be delivered, it, obviously, it's the energy cost is practically free. Uh, obviously, you're, you're spending capital to deploy that. But overall, by using that, you can lower customers' bills um, and still use the, the regular fossil generation as backup supply for it. I wish more people knew about this. I think people just feel like the president favors coal, so therefore we're going back to coal. But coal seems to be going out of style from 2005 to till now. I mean, you're talking about in the future, you're, by more than half, you're cutting coal out. Yeah, I think, I think you're seeing a rebalancing of the portfolio of the country because typically before, you didn't have access, and, and really the technology itself around renewables wasn't where it is today and in the future. So you're going to continue to see that rebalancing, not only because of technology, but also because of the resources themselves that are in play today. I know that because of the low price of natural gas, some people would expect that you'd be building a lot of natural gas plants, but there are environmental issues with those too, right? I mean, they're cheap, but it doesn't seem like you're putting them up all over the place. That's right. Uh, And typically what you're looking at is building renewables backed up with natural gas because it gives you the demand to be able to supply load when it's needed. uh, But at the same time, by using as much energy coming from the renewable resources, it lowers cost overall. One last question. Did you ever expect to be a growth company, a growth stock? (laughs) Uh, Obviously, uh, Our focus is primarily providing growth and dividends on a consistent basis for our shareholders. And typically, we're seen as a state industry. It's not that way anymore. It really is focused on technology deployment and being able to really reinvest in our grid uh, to ensure that the American way of life can continue. Well, that's why I don't like these utility ETFs. You get the bad with the good. Why not just buy the good? Here we are. 
Yeah, that's right. All right. You're in Cleveland this year, the whole th- the rock in and roll, right? Because right. I know you know Lisa's going to it yeah. this year with yeah. us. Okay. That's Nick Akins, the chairman, president, and CEO of American Electric Power. Listen to the music. May have money's back after the break. After the bell, what can I say? Intel, really good. Amazon, I'd say, I'm going to use the term, it's called suboptimal. Fair enough. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I'd probably try to find it just for you right here, man, buddy. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.